I'm arts journalist Jan Patience and you're listening to The Work of Art, a podcast by the National Galleries of Scotland. In this three-part series, we'll be looking at the issues faced by artists working in Scotland today. From running their own spaces to funding their own work and what happens when public opinion is divided. In this episode, we'll be finding out about artist-run galleries and spaces, how they're run today, and how artists in early 20th century Scotland created new opportunities for themselves. I recently visited the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art in Edinburgh with senior curator Alice Strang, who spoke to me about A New Era, an exhibition which looks at Scottish modern art from 1900 to 1950. At the start of my tour, Alice showed me a painting that really sums up what the exhibition is all about. That painting is called Etude de Rhythme by John Duncan Ferguson. That's right, where is the Etude de Rhythme to, to get it started really with proving the point that there is more to modern Scottish art history than the colourists and actually right. there were Scottish artists who were doing work that was really quite out there, pushing the boundaries yeah. of what was acceptable. Yeah, so whether you want to describe this to Alice at the pass of the book. Thank you. <laughs> well, when I first saw the painting I thought it was a still life but a male colleague said, hang on a minute, just look at it and in fact what I thought was the main flower is a phallus but it can also be read as presumably a male back and buttocks and coming around them are knees from his sexual partner and actually what we're seeing is an image of sexual intercourse. And this year was what year was it? Right so sex was invented in 1910. (laughs) And exhibited it in public in Paris the following year. Well it would be Paris. So why was this work exhibited in Paris and not in Scotland? Ferguson was, I think, by instinct, anti-establishment, and he moved from Leith to Paris in 1907 for, we think, three primary reasons. One was increasing frustration with the conservatism of the Scottish art world, and he had been mainly showing his works in London up until that point. Um, Two was an increasing interest in developments in Paris because he did travel to Paris frequently and was aware of, um, for example, the the work of the Fauves, uh, people like Durand and Matisse, thus christened just in 1905. And the third was a woman, the American painter Anastelle Rice, who he met in France um, the preceding summer and was already based in Paris. Ferguson moved to Paris to escape what was then a very staid society in Scotland. In the early 1900s, women didn't have the right to vote and the Edinburgh College of Art didn't allow male and female students to attend life classes together. The art scene was conservative with a very small C and opportunities to exhibit and sell provocative work were limited. But in Paris, Scottish artists like Ferguson and his friend Samuel Peplow were in the company of Europe's most revolutionary artists and writers of the time. So in Paris from 1907, Ferguson and then later Peplow, when he moved to Paris three years later, became part of a celebrated group of Anglo-American artists and writers known as the Rhythmists who produced the cutting-edge journal Rhythm to celebrate new art and new writing. 
So Ferguson and Peplow found themselves very easily in a, a group of equally open-minded creative people. But, for example, Ferguson was um, elected a societaire or member of the Salon d'Automne, um, which was an exhibiting group for these cutting-edge artists. And he was voted to that position by his peers for his contribution to the modern movement. So in Paris, there were half a dozen different salons, official and unofficial, at which you could show your work. So there were opportunities and presumably a larger audience who had an appetite for the new kind of art that they were producing. Ferguson said when he moved to Paris, looking back on those years, he described it as um, Paris was simply a place of freedom. So the freedom to express themselves in a way that wasn't acceptable back home had a huge influence on the way Scottish artists like Ferguson and Peplow lived and worked. But another important factor in their creative output was the community of artists they were involved with, the support they received and the spaces where they could exhibit their work. What I'm interested in finding out is, do artist-run spaces like these still have an important role to play in the art world today? My name's Timothea and I'm part of the committee that runs Rhubarba, which is an artist-run gallery and studios in Edinburgh. So we've got studios for about, uh, at the moment I think we've got 21 artists and a lot of the spaces are shared. We've got over two floors in uh, a building that used to be a workshop and we've built a lot of the, the space ourselves, the studio partitions. It's quite a fluid space. Everyone has to come through the gallery on their way in and that's kind of at the centre of the building and then the studios on a mezzanine above and underneath around the edge of the gallery. Uh, so it's maybe in the background you can hear some people talking in the studio upstairs. It's not like uh, other studio buildings where everyone's got their own kind of sort of closed off private space. It's quite a social building. Being an artist-run space and being volunteers, we do have that freedom to be quite experimental. We've kind of done everything. Well, you know, obviously we can never have done everything, but we've done, uh, we, you know, we do exhibitions, workshops, sort of residencies. We work with writers. We've a lot of performance. We've had kind of work-in-progress shows for a filmmaker. We've had reading groups um, and there have been a real mix of kind of longer and shorter term projects. Like one of the ways that we try and pri like prioritise working is having sort of, we can't, we might not be able to offer massive production budgets, but what we can offer as a committee is the chance to sort of discuss ideas and have really long conversations and yeah, try and sort of Pretty, almost collaborate with the artists that we work with to do something that you know they might not have been able to do elsewhere. With budget and time constraints, sharing skills and resources is key for artist-run spaces. While these galleries and studios often develop into supportive networks, there are also a number of other bodies in Scotland which work to support artists individually and collectively. The Society of Scottish Artists is an artist-led and run organisation, open to artists at any stage of their career. I met up with their president, 
artist Sharon Quigley at the recent annual exhibition in Edinburgh. Yeah, long gone are the days when a group of grumpy old men with pipes sat in a line and walked past them. The Society of Scottish Artists is a members' organisation. Um, it's artist-led. Um, it's run by artists for artists. We were established in 1851. We were established very much at the time as a kind of alternative to what at the time was the staid kind of Royal Scottish Academy. The kind of idea was very much to promote the work of, at the time, younger artists, who of course now we promote the work of all artists but I think at the time too it was to kind of take an opportunity to kind of pull work in from the rest of Europe and show work of uh, the artists that were kind of inspiring us in Scotland at the time. Has it helped you as an artist, you're, you're a practicing artist yourself, you know, do, do organisations like this help you to sort of establish yourself and to, to push yourself to make new work for events like this? Um, yeah, I mean Membership of an, an organisation, an artist-run organisation, um, I mean, there's lots of benefits to it, obviously. There's the peer support that you can get. There's being part of an active network of, of artists. Um, there's kind of being involved, and, and we do have like hundreds of artists who actually get involved in the process of organising, whether it's through selection, hanging, installation, or volunteering. Um, artists who come forward to, to help with that process. So that does give you, you know, an amazing insight into, I suppose, all aspects of exhibitions like this. I think the last few years, um, artists have had to um, accept a certain amount of self-reliance and that's where organisations like ours have really come into their own. Our membership has doubled, you know, in the last three or four years, which is great, you know. Organisations like this support artists and make them feel that they're kind of able to organise exhibitions. So all of our off-site er exhibitions are organised by either co-opted members, the council, or members coming forward with initiatives. And so the role of the council really is to support these initiatives. So I suppose it gives people confidence. In the early 20th century, a lot of artist-run organisations were not inclusive, which Ferguson found out when he returned to Scotland from France in 1939 at the outbreak of the Second World War. It was relatively expensive to be a member of Glasgow Art Club and they didn't accept women members until 1984. And Ferguson was a feminist. His partner was the dance pioneer Margaret Morris and they deliberately didn't marry um, because they didn't believe in that as an institution. And at certain points, he actually followed her career. He stayed in London in the 1920s because the Margaret Morris movement and school and theatre that she'd founded there was doing so well. So when, because of the outbreak of the Second World War, um, partly inspired by what they had in, seen and enjoyed in Paris, they were amongst the founder members of the New Art Club, which became the New Scottish Group. And the purpose of those groups were to provide affordable discussion and exhibiting opportunities for everybody. There wasn't this element of selection, there wasn't this element of selection by financial means. And they held eight exhibitions between 1943 and 1956, including at the McClellan Galleries in Glasgow, and at least one exhibition which toured uh, significantly throughout Scotland. 
So they did a, a huge amount to give confidence to struggling artists and to give them a place where they could come together and validate their thoughts and their practice and, most importantly, show their work. In 1946, Ferguson stated his position on the future of art in Scotland. The Scotland I'd like to see from the art point of view would be a Scotland liberated from the stranglehold of academic art and where there was, if not a square deal, at least a fair fighting chance for the independent artist. It's difficult to say whether Scotland today mirrors Ferguson's vision. Opportunities are much more open and inclusive, with a certain freedom from academic tradition. But we still rely heavily on formal qualifications and the status of our art schools. So are we really totally free from an academic stranglehold? While Ferguson's hope might not have been an accurate prediction, one thing is certain, there are artist-led organisations and individuals looking out for independent artists. My name's Janie Nicholl and I'm a visual artist. I'm based in Glasgow. I've been involved in the Scottish Artists' Union um, where I was president for three years. And I've also been involved in Engage, which is the National Organisation for Gallery Education. And I've also been involved in the Paying Artists campaign, which is run through AN Air. And I'm about to do a project for Glasgow International, which is GI, 2018 and it's called In Kind and it's with another artist called Ailey Rutherford and it's a collaboration between the two of us but we really think of it as a kind of action research project where we're uh, trying to highlight the uh, the amount of kind of in-kind labour that's done during GI or to make you know the majority of art festivals happen where um, artists do a hell of a lot of work off their own back and you know, finance projects and exhibitions very much um, themselves because of the lack of funding. Obviously it's a common thread that you find all the time that artists uh, do work for nothing. I mean, has that always been the case? Is, I mean, we're looking at the New Era exhibition, a lot of the artists there were not known in their lifetime. And, you know, maybe we're only finding yeah. out about them now because it was hard to, it's hard to make art and to make a living. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, was, it was probably really hard then um, because there was no sort of welfare state, and well, until after the, the Second World War. Um, and we've, we have benefited from things like the welfare state and from free university education, um, which they didn't have prior to that. But I think, yeah, there, there's still the same sort of fundamental issues of being able to, to kind of justify your practice. Very much, I think, if you have children or a family to deal with, for, especially for women, it's quite a difficult kind of career path that artists kind of travel. You know, there's a lot of precarity, there's no certainty. So you're taking a bit of a risk becoming an artist in a way, I think. Tell us about your grandmother then. She was an artist during this period yeah. of time. What, what, what um, was I think that? she graduated in 1931 and she was one of the first women to gain a diploma in painting from what was Dundee College of Art, which is now Duncan and Jordanston College of Art. I've got some of her paintings and, you know, they had a very kind of rigorous classical training in painting. And then basically she, a few years later she married and had five children and her husband died during the Second World War. So she, she basically never painted again and her paintings all just ended up in a shed. <laughs> um, but, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting to see them now and to, just to think about how different, different expectations 
particularly of women, you know, back then, where maybe being an artist wasn't really taken seriously as an actual career or something that you could do um, to earn a living. Because, yeah, it must have been really difficult to, to get established back in those days. Do you think it's taken seriously today? There's sort of misrepresentation of artists within the media, but I think, you know, there's artists doing all sorts of different types of work. They're doing work in hospitals, work with community groups. Um, you know, they, they're seen as a, a way of, you know, communities kind of benefiting or sort of enriching the quality of life for people and maybe bringing ideas. Um, so I think there's the actual role of artists has really changed from, you know, previously probably artists were considered to be either sculptors or painters or, you know, maybe ceramicists or, you know, jewellers or very sort of specific things. Whereas now I think over the last few decades, it's become um, more obvious that artists, I suppose they have to have kind of portfolio careers in a way and they, they're sort of range of abilities has widened so that they can make money from, you know, doing all sorts of different kind of jobs. We know that over 80% of the Scottish Artists' Union membership uh, are self-employed. We also know that there's a, a really high number who don't earn more than like 10 grand a year from their practice. They might only earn between like five and £10,000 a year, which is way below sort of the sort of average salary or wage of your average person living in Scotland at the moment. So... For, for the percentage to be 80% self-employed is really high because in the rest of the general population that would be about 27% or 20%, I think. So a really high percentage of artists are self-employed and that brings with that all these kind of issues around sickness benefit, you know, not getting maternity pay or um, holiday pay, all these kind of benefits that you have from the security of actually having a salary. So, yeah, th I think artists in general are... Um, are leading quite precarious lifestyles and having to be quite flexible as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of this sort of can-do attitude as well mm -hmm. that makes you know makes them who they are as well. You know, and getting together and you know and running spaces together and and you know, having to do everything like this. We're talking about in kind the, yeah. your project that you know to get people to note down all the hours that they do. Yeah. You know, I mean that if if you were running commercial gallery space you know it would cost a lot of money yet yeah. you know when you get artists together in a group they're doing that for themselves you know yeah, yeah I mean I, th I think um, that that's does it, that is what makes sort of the visual arts seem really exciting is all this kind of energy that kind of bubbles up I think it comes from you know the, um, art students come from from the different the art schools and art colleges and come out wanting to do things and then they, they kind of create their own opportunities Artists have always led financially precarious lives with expected voluntary or underpaid labour. So how do artists like Timothea cope, especially in the current economic climate? I think now, even more than when I graduated about four years ago, it's getting more difficult to support yourself as an artist. That doesn't mean there's any like, less people that want to do it as well. I think now at the, on the committee at the moment there's more people than ever who have a full-time job as well as being on the committee. Like we had tutors in college who used to tell you if you wanted to keep if you wanted to keep on practicing as an artist when you graduated you should just go on the dole of which sounds absolutely ludicrous now you just can't you can't do that. So places like this we're kind of like now more than ever kind of necessary for people to support each other you know sometimes on their kind of like 
well-being and like a bit of emotional support you need to be quite stubborn to carry on I think I've had a couple of different jobs whilst I've been on the committee uh, most of them have been uh, bartending um, and that was something I sort of went into because it meant that I had like daytimes free to like, make work or uh, work for work with rhubarber but they, yeah we've actually got a variety of jobs of people on the committee we've had a florist web designer like some people have jobs sort of in arts organizations a couple of chefs <laughs> do i know any full-time artists um not personally <laughs> as contemporary artist-led spaces deal with increasing cutbacks do we need new structures in place to support artists today at the core of it, um, the need for a space and like a um, community that can offer a kind of mutual support, that's that, that's not really changed that much. One thing is that a lot of artists run spaces that exist in Scotland now either started in sort of 1980s or are very closely based on like those models. So there, you know, there's a kind of like we're working with an existing precedent. Like artists run spaces are established now as something that's integral to the way that the art scene in Scotland, you know, would wouldn't exist without them. But then, also, I think the circumstances that we're operating in, despite sort of trying to use the same model, the circumstances are different and it's getting harder to kind of carry on with those models and there's there's a lot of discussion at the moment about how we do that but i you know i think they'll carry on they're going to carry on existing but the way that we sort of the play the way that we think about what we do or the place of what we do is probably going to have to change i think one event that we actually had to last summer was with an artist called Emma Hedditch who does a lot of work about cooperatives and she sort of was making a case for artists run spaces to be run as co-ops um, which means that they don't wouldn't need to look to like outside sources of funding because at the moment pretty much all artists run spaces are funded centrally by Creative Scotland and that's without getting too much into the politics of it it's getting it's getting harder <laughs> to work with that next time on the work of art we'll be talking to artists who have received public funding to create artworks and undertake projects throughout Scotland We'll be asking what is the value of publicly funded art and why is it sometimes so controversial? I'm Jan Patience. The Work of Art is a three-part series brought to you by the National Galleries of Scotland. <laughs>